0: And the total medal count that Team USA did in the squash was we got six medals total, really with the dominance of the women just uh, helping out. So across the individuals, across the team, and in the mixed. And tied with Colombia also getting
1: six medals. So great result and so the great thing about the mixed doubles is that they'll be able to take that momentum in the mixed doubles they won the gold for the rest of the softball mixed double season it's going to give them just buoy their confidence so the rest of the mixed double season is just going to be dynamic and I, can't, I really look forward to talking about it going forward seems like they, there's a chance that they might stay undefeated throughout the entire season about to leave already
0: packing come with me i'm not really asking we'll get away a place where we don't know what about this this call is being recorded fans we are back for another edition of the roundup catching up in the weekly headlines results and news from the professional tour and i'm glad to say college squash i'm connor O'Malley, and i'm joined by bill buckingham
1: welcome to the show good morning connor how are you
0: I'm doing all right. Yeah. It's a little scramble to get everything done this morning, but I'm glad to be recording. We're getting another one in the books and it's just
1: a pleasure to be with you. It is always a pleasure. PJ, if you're listening, shout out PJ. Thanks for answering our uh, WhatsApp for this recording. I like the old days. I don't know if I like it better when PJ just completely ignores our WhatsApp conversations and doesn't respond or responds with chaps can't make it this morning because... My parents are celebrating their 37th anniversary of the year. He has more anniversaries and birthday parties and things to go to than any person that I know. He's like a he's like a 30 something year old. Like I have 30 something year old colleagues and they go on like bachelor parties every weekend and they go to weddings because they're of that age where their friends are all getting married. P- PJ's 50, and he's birthday parties, anniversaries, Abitha. It's just it's amazing. It's just remarkable.
0: It reminds me of your retirement schedule here when our recording windows are significantly cut down.
1: It's true. That is is absolutely true. So my retirement window is one year. So what is it? It's November, right? So it's November 7th. I'm retiring on February 2nd, 2025. So we are one year and... December, January, 1st. one year and three months, less than one year and three months away from me being retired, Connor, then I could record every day if you want.
0: Oh, I didn't know which way this was going. If, whether you're announcing your retirement from Squatch Radio, you're out, just this
1: is Key West, I'm gone. No, taxpayer. I'll no longer be a taxpayer. So I, I, I'm, a, I'm going to retire from my full-time, as it were, my full-time job. Just yeah, exactly, <laughs> Kevin. If you're listening, I'm certainly not using air quotes. Exactly. Yeah, believe yeah. me. Talk about somebody who will be glad to see me gone. <laughs> I don't think there'll be any any tears yet. Yeah. There'll be no yeah. tears shed at the Specter Center when I walk away.
0: <laughs> yeah, and then you can commit to full time end scene. You got a lot. You're gonna you're gonna stay busy.
1: You know, I'll, I'll keep my foot in the game. I, I it's for the kids out there. Like it's for that young girl in uh, Houston who walked by me on the last day of the Houston Southwestern Women's Squash Open who looked at me and said as I was walking with Tesney Evans and looked at me and said, "You're famous." And Tesney looked at me and goes, was she talking to me? And I said, no, Tesney, she was talking to me. It sounds inconclusive. It sounds inconclusive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so doing well. Uh, uh, saw a bunch of squash this weekend and we'll go over it. They, I, I took a trip down to uh, Payne Whitney Gymnasium and the Brady Squash Center to watch the Ivy League scrimmages. So we'll go over that. But uh, <laughs> funny because I was thinking about the PSA. And I always think about the PSA in relation to other organizations such as the WTA, the P like tennis and, and now that you, you watch pickleball and there's so many pro pickleball national governing bodies and that I was I don't know if you followed this or not the epic disaster that was the WTA finals so it's akin to the PSA finals that they do at the end of the year where they take like the top eight men players the eight top women players put them in pools they play two out of three and then they they then get into a the WTA and, and the uh, ATP do theirs separately and the WTAs It's just been, since I think 2019, they signed a deal with uh, to do it in China, like a really, a very solid financial deal. But of course, COVID killed that. And then the disappearance of the, uh, I think her name was Peng Shua. I, probably, I, I apologize if I'm mispronouncing. <laughs> Some, hey, s- sometimes it's funny to mispronounce things, but for somebody like something like this, it's not all that funny. To be fair, you do it both in squash and out of
0: squash. It's there you
1: go. 100% the case. But so when she was the Chinese player who disappeared. So they pulled out of China. And so since then, they've moved it around. And it, it's always a, it's a mystery, like where it's going to end up each year. And this year was the biggest mystery. And they didn't announce it until late August, September, I believe it was, that it was going to be in Cancun which raised some eyebrows because it's Cancun's rainy season. And as Martina Navratilova so astutely put it, they expected it not to rain during the rainy season in Cancun. And it didn't work out like that. Among the issues besides the rain and the wind was ridiculous. Just the weather was just craziness and it was outdoors. They didn't have the court ready till a day before the tournament was going to begin. It was a temporary court put on a golf course. So the players couldn't practice on it. They showed up and when they did start the matches, the ball didn't bounce correctly. One one thing you do need on a tennis court is for the ball to bounce correctly. It's a hard court. I watched some videos. There were some points where literally the the tennis ball looked like a squash ball that wasn't warmed up. Like it hits off the wall and just hits the ground and just stays there. And (laughs) the court was not suited for a junior tennis event or any tennis event, a grammar school tennis event, and yet it was hosting the WTAs. The WTAs, like basically their showcase uh, event for the end of the year. I don't know if you followed it at all, but it it just gave me a little bit of pause when looking at the PSA. And then I look at the PSA schedule and I see the world tour finals are TBD right now. So just a little shout out to to the PSA. Maybe take a look at what happened in Cancun and let's get that venue announced and make sure it's ready to go.
0: No, I wasn't paying attention to this till you sent it over, and a couple, couple things came to mind. A, I was like, I wonder how Muhammad Al Shabagi would have commented on this if he was playing in the tournament. And I, joking aside, I think that this is a very fair statements from players, right? Where the the venue wasn't produced. And just looking at this from the surface level, yeah, like that probably wasn't the best decision to to get the best fan experience, the best performance for the players, which can make a big factor and it also spells out my worst nightmare as a promoter (laughs) so something like this you and i have done it where we are to be at the mercy of the weather or the new venue a new venue always presents new problems no matter how well you prepare it's like certain things just it's not if things are going to go wrong things are going to go wrong and it's how you react and adjust and having the right team in place for that this is really unfortunate but this did actually did remind me of not looking forward, but looking back at another time in
1: squash world where something similar happened. Do you recall this? I don't. But if you remind me, maybe it'll jog my six-year-old adult brain.
0: This was in 2010. The same Super Series, uh, I think it was called the Super Series Finals at the time, was hosted in London at the Queen's Club, and they would erect this tent. And the tent collapsed for the final, like prior to the finals. Whoa! Did anybody get hurt? No one got hurt because I think it was prior to that happening. But when they had successfully done this in the past, so this wasn't like year one. They had executed well. And so the finals was never played. Was really? Kind of like, yeah, I believe it was between Nick Matthew and Amr Shabana. So it's out there is not played. And in that scenario, everyone's like kind of pointing the fingers at each other, like the tent manufacturer, the grounds, the, all this stuff. And I don't remember the conclusion from the financial or legal implications there or just other, it was never played. It looked like it on the outside, but it was a tent was, yeah, it collapsed.
1: Wow. Uh, that's crazy. I think the women's at the WTA final also, it's a, like a bad cherry on the top of the, the whole WTA season where there's still not equal prize money on the WTA tour on the WTA tour and I think that's the underlying issue and it's the disrespect and I think when something like this happens the women rightly look at it look we get disrespected all year long for the events that aren't equal prize money, and then it comes to one of our marquee <laughs> events, and you're basically just throwing it together and not preparing it, not giving us time to prepare for for such a prestigious event. We're professional athletes. We're the best in the world at what we do, and you're not treating us as such. Just a black eye for the WTA, and it sounds like there's going to— Martina Navratilova pulled no punches, and she basically called for the WTA executive director to resign. Oh, oh, he says just a— uh, bad decision after bad decision, it sounds like uh, being made. I, I don't follow tennis that closely. I've just been following this because I do. I'm on Twitter a lot. So I see, or X, if you will, and I do follow a lot of the players. And uh, I had never seen, uh, I've seen people complain about venues. And I see, as we know in squash, Mohamed El Shabagi complains about the wind blows uh, the wrong way. And it. <laughs> it's a joke. It's a joke. <laughs> if we could get Gilly Lane to do his, it's a joke, Mohamed El Shabagi, it would go viral. Yeah. So, Gilly, if you're listening,
0: I do. Um... This is another good reminder, though, of just how thankful I or how glad I am that the PSA and the WSA merged many years ago to really help alleviate this kind of stuff where we can showcase the men and the women together. It just really is extremely additive. And here you're seeing an example of the WTA and the ATP. When they're separated, these are the kind of things that can occur because there's so many redundancies. Like, well, why would you have this independent? What is the one that is extremely well-resourced versus
1: one that's under-resourced? These things are going to happen. And that's our tennis podcast. We thank you for listening. What do you think? Should we branch out into tennis? There's more tennis fans out there. So maybe we'd get more listeners.
0: Yeah. Or like I said, I'm going to try and do some Padel action. Maybe we can. uh, (laughs) And that's where tennis and squash come together.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And they could bring their little, um, their little bastard son pickleball along with them. (laughs) So onward to squash. Wrapping up Connor, one of your favorite events of the year, the Pan Am games just ended down in Santiago, Chile. Great results. For the U.S. on the women's (laughs) side, we had the singles, and it got so much publicity online, a lot of amplification on social media by the Olympic committees and by LA 2028. Our women's singles won gold, silver, and bronze. Yeah, which is
0: historic, right? Because you normally only
1: get two players in
0: that event to be able to get Marina in there and... That is one in the history book. So pretty amazing. And yeah, I was tuning into the socials and seeing the, it promoted on team USA and other people reacting like that. It was just awesome. Like it really just, and the
1: added benefit
0: of a little taster or preview of what it would feel like in the Olympics. Right? Yeah,
1: definitely. And great craziness that the gold medal winner on the women's side, a player who's never played before, I've never heard of her. And she comes out and wins the gold medal, Olivia Weaver. Interesting. She just jumped in. That's craziness, right? it it threw me off too it threw threw, me off it it ridiculously threw me off it's funny because it depended on what media site you were following calling her olivia weaver or olivia Fichter. and honestly if when they first said that soby weaver lead us into women's singles i was like huh who is weaver i had no idea and then the best part was that all during the tournament during the the doubles events that olivia klein played they they announced her in as olivia blatchford each time yeah exactly uh She's she's been married like 100 years. She is Olivia Klein at this point. So it it was funny, the names. But yeah, congrats. Olivia Fichter beating Amanda down 2-0 in the final and coming back and beating Amanda to win the gold. So we podium, all three podiums, and Marina Stefanoni taking a bronze. The Harvard squash player taking home the bronze at her age is awesome. And the total medal count that Team USA did in the squash was we got
0: six medals total really with the dominance of the women just uh, helping out so across the individuals across the team and in the mixed and tied with Colombia also getting six medals so great
1: result well and the good thing, the mix, the the, what's the great thing about the mixed doubles is that they'll be able to take that momentum in the mixed doubles. They won the gold for the rest of the softball mixed double season. It's going to give them just buoy their confidence. So the rest of the mixed double season is just going to be dynamic. And I can't, I really look forward to talking about it going forward. Seems like that there's a chance that they might stay
0: undefeated throughout the entire season.
1: I don't see them losing the rest of the year in mixed doubles, in the United States. I don't see it in mixed softball doubles, anyways. I don't see it. I don't see it happening. Uh, yeah, no. excited, excited for the momentum off of that. That was <laughs> my my our friend and colleague, my colleague and your former colleague, Chris McClintock, was down there covering covering it for the U.S. for U.S. squash, and he said that he did say that Mick the doubles was the most exciting part of the of the tournament. He said it's just non stop action. And it, it is cool to watch it again, my feelings on it because there's no there's nothing else but that one event. And now they'll they won't olivia Klein and and Timmy Brownell are the gold medal Pan Am Mixed Doubles champions and they won't play together in another softball doubles event until the next Pan Am games, I don't believe. <laughs> yeah. So well they isn't there's the world championship doubles, so we'll yeah. see. Yeah. yeah. So, but- so last, not lastly, oh yeah, there is the world championship. That is, that's another, just another fantastic event, by the way. I'm, I look forward to that. <laughs> A couple of things on the, on the Pan Ams before, before we jump off of them. The, the men, the uh, US men's team lost in the first round. They were seeded three, uh, lost in the first round, didn't medal. The C- curious behind that and selection processes better than I do, the the U.S. champion, the person who is the U.S. individual champion, Andrew Douglas, was not on that team. He is on the world's team, but he isn't on this team. And I'm curious, seeing that we have a better chance to win gold or win a medal, period, at the Pan Ams than we do at the men's team's championships, w- what's the reasoning uh, where, where you wouldn't have the U.S. individual m- male champion on that men's team at the Pan Am Games? yeah it's a good question and um
0: i've I've said this before but it's it's worth saying it again that the level of scrutiny that this selection process for these pandemic Am gave us through is extensive. I remember having to submit it months in i don't know, almost two years in advance it'd be back and forth with the u s o c it would have to go through like compliance and legal uh, i remember being on a a call with at least six to ten lawyers on there i'm being people are asking me questions. And it's the same vetting process that it will go through for swimming, archery, basketball, all these other things. And you're somewhat pegged in or tied in to a more narrow restriction and how can it be more clear and more fair. And now that we're seeing an increased level of number of players competing on the professional tour, which that used to not be the case. I remember back in Going back to 04, certainly 08, we didn't nearly have as many professional players on the tour, and we had to, They these were seen as more convoluted processes of where it could go wrong versus rankings, and that's felt pretty, hey, everyone has a fair chance to get there. Once you start getting into peeling it off and having direct competition, right, let's say if we were to include the SL Green, in this scenario, they could say, what if that player is injured? Right. What if that player doesn't do it? So there are a lot of scenarios where it, it can actually work against you. Ultimately, a process is to try and get: did we field the best team? And that is probably what maybe because we didn't place or medal where we want to. Of course, that's going to be scrutinized. And it's I, I've I've literally have done this where me and the selection committee we got it quite slightly wrong. With the best intent. We thought that this would achieve the objectives and what didn't happen was people participating in that selection
1: process. So it was a good
0: process and people didn't participate in it and we didn't field our best team. My my fear
1: is it come Olympic time and obviously there's only what we're hearing is the draw of 32. So only two spots for each country. And if so, it, it appears for this Pan Am team that the selection went strictly off of PSA rankings based on the team and what I saw. And that's why Andrew Douglas, the US champion, was left off. Once it comes to Olympic selection, I think there has to be a little bit more of nuance to it, only because we could get to the point where people could start protecting their ranking, right? You get a lot of that where, hey, I'm not going to play this event. I'm not going to play these events leading up to the Olympics. And I've gamed the system. So I'm going to make sure that my ranking is going to keep me in the top two so I make the team, even though I might not be the best player anymore to represent my country. So there's always that fear, right, that you're not sending your best team. And I think that showed at the Pan Am Games. And I'm just hoping it doesn't show at the Olympic Games.
0: Yeah, that's also, um, I no, I hear you. And it's like a question is, why isn't Andrew participating on the professional tour?
1: he is just and, finished just lost in the finals in la so he is participating his rankings just not w- up there amongst with todd harry's and with Jaha khan's and with timothy brownells so, yeah it's just it's
0: also do you engineer selection criteria around like an individual versus like around a, a system that is more repeatable
1: yeah you, it's a balance for sure do you want do you send your best players I, I think it's fair to say that andrew douglas is a better player right now than todd Harity, right
0: yeah but it, it's it gets into, and these things happen all the time. Like when James will is injured mm-hmm. and this used to mm-hmm. happen, he injured came off and then his ranking plummeted. And then how do you reconcile that against the people participating on the tour?
1: Sure. So it's, it, it, I'm not saying it's easy at all. I just hope that, that we come up with it, come up with a solution where our best players go. Cause that would be a shame if it'd be a shame, especially for the Olympics that, that we don't send our best team based on this selection criteria. What about try, what about it, trials? What are your thoughts on trials? So trials also get tricky.
0: I Look, I think from a product entertainment, yeah, let's do U.S. Olympic trials. I think that'd be great. And getting U.S. men's only, one could call that the SL green, right, as a certain extent, and you play the plays. The thing that still happens is you can't put all your eggs in that basket because then what if, some, what if a player is injured? But then they're healthy for the competition, right? So there, there are those caveats. Let me
1: just interrupt you real quick there. Could you, and again, just playing devil's advocate, and you know so much more about this than I do, which is rare for any of these topics we talk about, but in this case, 100% the case is, can't you make the trials close enough to the games that you're you're sending your best team that way? If you do the trials closer to the games, the best players are going to come out and you're going to send your best players. I understand that if you did the trials a year before or things like that, injuries could happen. I'm not recalling the Olympic
0: timelines, mm-hmm. which they have a, a process for selection that is actually very far in advance compared to like when they can compete. So now what happens is I think you can have who makes the team in what order, but then you can adjust the order of play or that kind of stuff. But going off of, there there are tiers to how selection is made for the Pan Ams for seeding, right? Mm-hmm. So this goes from, they respect a tier of, I believe, 32. They'll select, all right, are there any players in the top 32? Great. We put them at the 1-2 seed, right? Okay, then we go from results from the previous Pan Am games. Who medaled, right? Okay, we put them in the seeding. Then we go to, all right, 33 through 60. Who's in the PSA rankings that we need to weigh? So there's okay. levels to this, and that's how Maria Stefani got in because she she got a... A a play in because she won the Pan Am Juniors. Right. So there is this. It's again, those are potentially specifically wrong, but generically right in terms of how it's a, a, a stacked selection process
1: right so understood all in all though a successful games especially on the US side that metal hall it, and just the publicity online for it was just fantastic all in all a very successful and from what I understand just a great experience for everyone down there I did I was at the Ivy League championships the yeah the Ivy League scrimmages this past weekend and I saw a heroic effort by Marina Stefanoni making it back for the Ivy League scrimmages. Believable, <laughs> A little tired she was. She even said, but I briefly spoke to her and she just said the experience overall was just incredible. The athletes definitely, uh, it, its it used to be their Olympic experience. Thankfully, it's not any longer that there, there is going to be an actual Olympic experience.
0: No, I, I was disappointed. I had the opportunity to almost go to three of them and I went to none of them someday Connor someday oh man oh man yeah but if I can make it to the Olympics in some capacity then that that will be exactly. make up for it all <laughs> exactly. three to one ratio exact God. I was gonna say but also you speaking of trips you made the trip to the Ivy League scrimmages and tell me Bill who won
1: that Connor so this is not a lie so obviously I went on Saturday and I spent a long time I was there a long time Saturday it, it was a mystery what was going on there a mystery for, for any listener that might be tuning in for the first time and is not
0: privy to your past ranting and ravings about the ivy league scrimmages do you want to give like your going in what how you feel about them
1: i think that they are a thing that it's our past its time i think the ivy league scrimmages if they're not going to keep score if they're not going to keep results for people to watch no one knows who wins You basically have these kids who haven't, a lot of freshmen and whatnot, who haven't even played a college match, are forced to play three hard matches, two on a Saturday. Like these, I mean, you're risking injury. You're risking your season being thrown into a funk based on on tweaks and niggles and things such as that. I think it's something that's past its time, but if they are going to have it, please use scoreboards. I went there. At some point Connor I was watching a, a random match and it just kept going on and I was like are they playing to 50 like does anybody know what the score is and nobody like the the kids up top who are roughing and and keeping score don't yell out the score loud enough cuz the Paint Brady Squash Center is very loud the acoustics there are pretty incredible so you you just hear banging of the ball I honestly watched a match between a Yale player and a Cornell player that I honestly thought they were playing to like par 21 or hand out hand in hand out 21 it just went on forever Ever, and I kept asking people, do you know what the score is? And I'm asking their teammates over there, do you know what the score is? And no one knew the score. What's the score? That's, that was the biggest question I had going in. What's the score? And it, that, that question wasn't answered for me. Oh, <laughs> so, but I do have, so I did contact three coaches yesterday. And just to me, I do my research for this podcast. And I asked three coaches, and I won't sell them out by saying who, what their names are. Who won the Ivy League scrimmages was my question to each of them. No one knew definitively. The closest I got was on the women's side, forget it, a black hole. Like the prevailing thought amongst the three coaches is that Princeton won, but nobody's quite sure. Nobody's quite sure that Princeton won, but that's the prevailing, if I had to like, if it was a poll of the three coaches I talked to, I think that they all thought Princeton won. So we'll see, we'll see if that's the case or not. On the men's side, I got a little more definitive and I was told that in the semifinals, Princeton beat Penn 5-4, Harvard beat Yale 5-4, And in the finals, Princeton beat Harvard 5-4 and Yale beat Penn 5-4. Obviously, really close. Now, again, I would not, like, don't go to your grave spouting those because that could, (laughs) those could be completely wrong. But those are basically the the scores that I got from the three coaches that I talked to yesterday. I did talk to Gilly, obviously, who was our guest last week. I did speak to him and he did say, and he had some results that were concrete, but he did say this CSA season is as wide open as he's ever seen it in his time. Granted, he's the number one team uh, in the CSA, and he could just be saying that to take some pressure off of himself. Not a bad coaching move, Gillian. Don't think I that slid by me when you said that yesterday. I, I tried not to laugh, and I tried to say, yes, I appreciate that, and I'll quote you on that. But uh, yeah, but he did say that everything is so close. Players were missing, either for injury, either for gap years, either not coming to the second semester, that type of thing. So the full lineups were not represented. But as Gilly said, it is so close between all these top teams that it's just going to be the, the fun season. And his season kicks off with a bang. This Sunday, Drexel, Bupen, the Battle of Market Street. Uh- Squat. Isn't it Squash Alley? I, I think it's Squash Way, actually. Is it Squash, Squash Alley? Way. Squash Way. I think it's Squash Way. N- yeah. N- n- named after Mike Way, who keeps speeding Penn in the finals. They had the name of this. Oh, man. Sorry, Gilly. <laughs> That's brutal. That's brutal. <laughs> so my takeaways from the from that, besides the fact that there was no score and it was just ridiculously hard to follow what was going on, was the level of play was so high. It, these kids are so good. And uh, playing on these traditional courts, it was very warm in there. And the rallies were just on and on and just the retrievals. And it just, it's it's like watching a PSA event for sure. So much so that, again, don't know who won this match. I uh, don't know the score, but there was a on Saturday, uh, first round of the women's, Penn played Cornell. And in the, <laughs> the match on court that I watched on the glass court, we had, and I apologize for mispronouncing her name, Zin Yang Yi from Malaysia, who plays for Cornell, played Malataha from Egypt, who plays for Penn. They just played in a PSA Challenger Tour final the week before the Burnt Squash Tournament at Hotchkiss, and here we are watching them play a, a college scrimmage <laughs> match in which there's no score cap. But the quality of play is, holy cow, these guys are just young, and they're young, too. They're like freshmen and sophomores, and they're just crazy good, just crazy good, yeah. a, a, a lot of fun to watch. It's. Did you start feeling the,
0: or we talked about this in the past, where it College squash is just so much fun because of the team environments in that. So was it, was that like vibe in the air?
1: For sure. Very palpable. Like obviously the team's hanging around the courts, rooting on their teammates, pulling for them and everybody. And it was very cool, obviously, because it was the first Ivy League scrimmages since the passing of Dave Ann Talbot. And it was at the Brady Squash Center. And as as Gilly talked about last week, how important the Ivy League scrimmages were to Dave and having them at Yale was a big thing. All the Yale players wore their on court wore their jerseys, all said Talbot on the back of them, which was very oh, cool. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. It was a really nice touch. So there was definitely, everybody's in their full uniforms. So yeah, def, definitely a team, a team atmosphere for sure. And yeah, it, it, as you said, there's nothing better than that, so but to talk a little bit about the caliber of play which i think there's just such a strong correlation
0: between the rise of the psa and the rise of college squash and with the both the ability for the players to go play so many events in the united states at all levels of play right the satellite tour challenger tour and you get guys like yusuf ibrahim or other female players who are playing on the top tiers. I think we're just gonna continue to see that correlation of the caliber continue to rise.
1: Yeah, what I hope we don't see, the caliber is great. What I hope we don't see is the behavior. The behavior, and again, me, it's one of my sticking points. College squash, unfortunately, is just an extension of junior squash at this point, especially for the American juniors who are playing. And you could tell it, it's pretty stark, the behavior between the international kids and the and the American kids are so much more poorly behaved than the international kids at the college level. And it was every call. At one match, it was just, I, I'm not sure, there was no professional referees. It was the kids reffing, and they're obviously always hesitant to give conducts against their teammates or against their peers. But I watched a match. I had to walk away after a while because it was just constant dropping of the rackets, screaming up at the refs. And it just was, it was every court. There was none of the, the sportsmanship is supposed to be exhibited where you accept the call. There was no calls were accepted. None, none. Yeah. Uh, I've said this
0: before. I, I'm definitely a broken record on this, but it's like in what other sports, I don't care if it's scrimmage or not, when whether sport, soccer, football, baseball, you'd show up with that it, it would be self refed or cell phone fire, like mm. it just wouldn't happen. And so the, if you were to take the entire, all the combined budgets of squash across the board for refereeing, it'd be negligible. And then you did that as compared to what is the budget for soccer, for basketball, for football. And so we really do need that trickle investment into, in, into it. And this goes down, we need it at all levels of sport. We've talked about, we often highlight it more at the professional level, mm. but this mm. would be a significant way to get a higher level of investment, to get professional referees at each match. And it's still hard because you essentially need three referees
1: per dual match to do it effectively. Right. And we struggled. One one, one one for for each court, court, right? right. One for each court. court. So the also, besides the constant arguing with the, with the referees, which just went on and on. The other things I noticed was the over-celebrating of points that didn't matter. Number one, none of the points mattered, right? Because they're not keeping score. (laughs) They are keeping score, but nobody knows what the score is. But oh my God, I watched the beginning of one match. I I think it was Prince. might've been Princeton, Columbia. And the first game, the third point of the first game, the kid hit a nice shot and he triple fist pumped and screamed. And I was like, dude, it's it's 2-1 in the first game relax so that was very noticeable the celebrating which we talked about last week with gilly that that's a fine line between banging the glass and in celebration and uh, but connor what i noticed more and i noticed it in junior squash during the during the world championships that i that were streamed this summer the giving the ball to each other after a point when we play you just you score a point you, it's your serve your opponent has the ball he tosses it to you right these kids they did what they could to make sure that ball was tossed farther away from their opponent at the farthest point that they could. I was like, are, are they jo- is it a joke? Is this something that like people get taught now at Junior Squash? A kid would look like it, he'd have the ball in his hand, he'd lose the serve, and he'd bang the ball to the front of the court and make the kid go walk to it at the front of the court. Or if the kid was in the front of the court, he'd make him walk to the back. Whatever happened to like, handing the ball to the other player or hitting it off the glass to the other player? yeah yeah i mean it was it was i was so awkward i was like what is going on will a coach please step in and say please hand the ball toss the ball and the pros it's cool how they do it because they're so skilled so they do so many tricks with their racket they can make the ball go to the other server like they do a backhand off the glass to their side and it goes right to the person it's like neat right showing their skills these kids holy cow i was like what it was stunning it was absolutely stunning yeah, no, I,
0: I, those are, I echo your sentiment on, on sportsmanship and how do we instill that in our players. And I too aim at a zero talents policy just cause it's like, Hey, let's let the level of squash on court play for Stanford itself. And
1: right. these antics aren't really helping college coaches. You're listening out there. And I know you all are the the drills for this week's practice. Do your drop drive, do your boast drive. Do your court sprints, but do like for five minutes, just to have your players stand across from each other in the service box and toss the ball back and forth to each other. Just practice it. Just see how it goes. You never know. It might, might work. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But yeah, I was a, otherwise fun to see college squash again. Um, looking forward to the season Th- this year. There's a lot of pre-Christmas matches that mean something. Typically, the season didn't get started until after the holidays, and then boom, it would be over, and the, then the Nationals would be in February. But this year, there seems like there's a lot of matchups early on. CSO, so the finish up, the PSA roundup right now, the PSA, the biggest events in Malaysia, Masafa Asal's playing. He did play this morning. I didn't get up early enough to watch it, so I'm not sure. I know he won, and I know that. So he's in the quarters. It's a bronze event, so the fields aren't great, although his the second seed is Gawad. So it'll be a, it, it portends to be a gowat Asal final, although Victor Kruin's in there. So he could upset the apple cart there. I think tomorrow, I think, I think it's tomorrow morning, I would assume, that Asal plays Sorav gosal which will be interesting. Yep. So it'll be Sorav retrieves the hell out of the ball. So to keep a rusty Asal to see how, how sharp Assal is and, and to, to beat a... Uh, you know, solid player like Sarov Looking forward to that one. On the women's mm-hmm. side, on the women's side, it's the draw is not great at all. We, we basically have Noor Al Tayeb, who the second seed is Farida Mohammed. So I'm not quite sure if Noor Al Tayeb she could just roll the roll roll her racket out there and win this tournament. I believe. I no, not necessarily. It is
0: quarterfinal matchup. If I'm Noor Al Tayeb playing Amina Orfi, who's been a giant killer, that is intriguing. Yeah, that is not a foregone conclusion at all. No. Re- recently beating Joel King at the US Open. But here's one thing that we have seen, which I don't think is true for Orphy, where anytime you had t- like people of the same country playing each other, that the amount of deference that the younger player would give towards the older player was ex- extremely high. I am not seeing that from Orphe. And yeah. I mean that in a yeah. good way. Like she is just laser
1: focused on winning interesting so, how those dynamics play out basically get out of my way old women I'm coming so yeah yeah, yeah I missed the boat on that one I, I did look at the draw and saw that Orphee's playing tie tomorrow you're right that that is a bigger probably the biggest hurdle for her in the tournament it would be that oh, yeah. match for sure so yeah. lo- looking for that I feel bad I, now I feel like the people who live over that part of the world who have to watch the tournaments in the U.S. It's impossible. It's impossible to get up. You get up in the morning and those the whole day's day is, is over with already. So it's tough to watch any yeah. of those matches live. I do look forward to to watching the replays, though. And I am looking forward to seeing Mustafa all go through the tournament. So I will watch all of that. And maybe we'll count the references and see how many times they could say the word James Willstrop while he's playing. Because it seems like they are there in the replays that I, I saw wasn't even playing in the first round in some of the replays that i watched and they mentioned james willstrop coaching Assal like 72 times we'll see what the under over is on that <laughs> but the other round the other one other event i want to talk about is the oregon open just finished and i want to talk about it for two reasons number one i got to know tesney evans when i was in uh, houston i never really knew her. i always knew her to say hi on the tour but in houston she did the psa comms and got to hang out with her a bit and just a, a, lov- a lovely young woman and i said young a lovely young woman. But her brother, Amir Evans, the number three seed at the Oregon Open, won last week, beat the number one and two seeds. Faraz Khan, the number one seed, he beat him in the semis and then beat Spencer Lovejoy, two U.S. players, the number two seed. Good win. And I don't know him, but I understand he's. And if he's anything like his sister. I'm sure he's a, he's a wonderful young man. But the best part about that, and please, I implore you guys to go on to yeah uh, wherever you get your squash news. Squash site was probably your best shot for this one. And take a look at the trophy that he won. Connor, I point I pointed out to you. It It is the biggest trophy. It it is the biggest trophy in squash, possibly.
0: It's definitely one of them. And I'll describe it for because I I do like good trophies. And this these doing doing trophies is really hard, mainly because of how expensive they are. Yeah. Right. So this is at least two and a half, maybe three feet tall, three feet tall. Oh, it's three feet. Maybe bigger. Yeah, uh, yeah. Let's say three feet for sure, and almost two feet wide. It looks like a big globe. Uh, globe. globe. A- yep, yeah. it's awesome. I'm jealous. I now I'm. I can see down the side that there are nameplates there, so I think this is the permanent one, not something you get to
1: take home. But uh, (laughs) where would he take? Where would he bring it? He'd need his own jet. It it is. It almost represents the actual size of the world. That's how big it is. I don't know if I'm exaggerating too much there. You never exaggerate. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's well done. That's yeah. And to give some context for like certain
0: trophies, like the one that we do at the SL Green, I think that was insured at thirty or
1: fifty thousand dollars, and they're just expensive. Do you remember off topic here? Do you remember the trophies that got the sent? Grant. The Lapham Grant trophies. I'm not, I don't even know what the Lapham Grant is. It's doubles, right? Is it doubles? It's like, a, it's like a Canada, U.S. doubles thing, I think, correct?
0: Yeah, it's. I believe it's. So it's invitational basis and they do multi-competition. So it's singles and doubles. Uh, it's a really fun event. Uh, I'm probably getting some of the details wrong. Uh, i I don't mind being corrected. But here's one of the things, because this is I was organizing the logistics behind this, and they're like, hey, where do we send the trophies? We just gave them the address, all this stuff. Suddenly, this was like a whole freight delivery up to our office. And then there's like these seven large crates coming into the office. They were like, you and I were both like, what is this? And no joke, when talking about how tall it was, between four to five feet tall. Yeah. Yeah. in yeah. seven
1: crates and we had to assemble it and it was pretty cool. Not, I think we spent two, two or three years of the last two or three years of your U.S. squash career trying to figure some way to get those trophies out of the office. It's, it's- our, our office in New York was pretty small. And these trophies took up. There were a cat, like seven caskets laying by the end. It was like people were sitting. We had interns sitting on. on was, yeah. exactly. <laughs> okay. Just pull up a trophy. It was ridiculous. Those are by far the biggest trophies I've ever seen. Those. It. it we're like. Yeah. We. I think we. In the end, didn't we just slap some like FedEx tags on them and just send them somewhere and didn't care where they got went as long as they were out of the office. Yeah. We just we send them like return to sender in six to eight months. <laughs> exactly. But shout out to Emery, Emory, who quote said. Beating Faraz and Spencer back-to-back was tough, but nothing is as tough as hosting this trophy over my head. Did I just make that up? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I think we got to give pause. For <laughs> I think, there. Anyway. I think pause is a, is a good thing. So the PSA, Malaysia, we'll talk about that next week. Wrap that up and then go forward from there. Follow up with some great college squash coverage. Connor, looking forward to the season. It is upon us. It is. It's exciting. So, All right, my man. Good to see you. You also hey PJ. Looking forward to your next show. Say Happy anniversary to your great-grandparents or whomever you're celebrating this week. Mazel Tov. Like it. See ya. All right, buddy. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to another show on SQR Squash Radio. We really do appreciate you taking the time to listen. And we have a quick ask. In an effort to help us grow, if you have a quick minute, please consider sharing an episode with a friend who might be interested or leaving a rating on any of the platforms you listen to your podcast it would mean a lot to me and the rest of the team thanks so much and have a great day